Romans 6, I want you to notice again, verse 22 of this text, where the Apostle Paul repeats a very powerful and oft-overlooked truth. And it is oft-overlooked for the people of God. Verse 22 says, But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now, the expression that I want us to consider in particular today is what Paul says about, quote, the end, everlasting life. The end, of course, meaning the culmination, the purpose, the end result. When Jesus said, to this end, was I born, he meant for this reason, for this purpose. And it is a reminder that our faith, our belief and trust in Christ also has a purpose. That indeed there is a culmination, there is an intent, a destination, an expectation that is attached forever to this biblical faith that we have. And in fact, in this same text, Paul tells us exactly what the end is. Look at verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord now wait a minute because understand that what scripture says is the end of our faith is not the same thing as what religion says or what philosophy says or what modern spiritualism says in fact what the Bible says about the end is the exact opposite of whatever man says about it and is highlighted in this reality, a reality that I want us to consider, a sort of statement in contrast I want to make before we pray that goes to the core of what Paul is teaching in this text, and that is the following. The end of religion, for that matter, the end of philosophy, the end of spiritualism, the end of any ideology, anything that's made by man, okay? The end of religion is to enjoy life until you die. That's why it's TED Talks or sermonettes or whatever. It's all about how to be prosperous, how to be successful, how to be healthy, how to be well-liked, and on it goes. The end of religion is to enjoy life until you die. And maybe some of you here today, because you want me to tell you how to enjoy life, how to get more successful and, and better looking and all of these things. The end of religion is to enjoy life until you die. The end of faith, Bible faith, Bible Christianity. The end of faith is to enjoy life after you die. Now, I realize that to the world and to the carnal mind, that's just pie-in-the-sky, opiate-of-the-people, puritanical, defeatist ideology. You know, in their minds of so many people in the whole world, especially in our society, if you're not aiming... If it is not your goal to enjoy life now, if you're aiming to enjoy life until after you die, then clearly you're going to be miserable until you die. That's what the world thinks. And of course, it's absurd. Folks, it is the very opposite of what actually happens in reality and what the Bible promises. Put it this way. Did you ever wonder about all those New Testament paradoxes where Jesus says, for example... He that loses his life. Now, that doesn't sound like somebody who's aiming to enjoy life. Jesus said, he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. 
Or the way to life, Jesus said, is to die to self. The way to a crown is to bear a cross. The way to really receive is to give. The way to be exalted is to humble yourself. Why is it that always, it seems, the way up is down in the Christian life? Well, I can tell you that Paul's words in our text this morning effectively answers all of that. All of it. And so I hope you listen carefully this morning. I want to speak on the subject, defying gravity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we, we thank you for this privilege, this opportunity, Lord, as your people to hear from it through your spirit. And I pray that we will, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that, that any of us might have guessed, might have never guessed, would be a topic of discussion and big news and major events for this now what is pretty much a new year. Of all of those things, I doubt that any of us would have put on that list the word balloons. I mean, right? Who would have guessed that on January 1st? This whole Chinese spy balloon drama has become a punchline. I've seen memes, big balloons delivering Chinese takeout. <laughs> there was a spy balloon from Mexico that was a big giant pinata. There's a children's book called Good Night Table, Good Night Moon, Good Night Chinese Spy Balloon for the kids. And of course, now a lot of balloon you know, hobbyists are nervous about getting shot down by an F-22 or something. You know, balloons used to be fun because they defy gravity, at least the ones filled with helium and hot air. And because they do, you know, for a lot of people, they represent freedom and peacefulness being untethered from this world. When Paul says in verse 22 that Christians are made free, that through Christ we are made free from sin and are become the servants of the God of heaven, that is, the God up there, he concludes that that glory, all of that glory, he concludes it with the words and the end. The end of it is everlasting life. In other words, the end of our faith, the end of our salvation is heaven itself. It is glory. The Apostle Peter repeated this truth when he wrote in 1 Peter 1.9 these words, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now the question is, what does that mean? Or more to the point, what does it mean for us? What does it mean that the end of our faith, the end of our salvation, is eternal life and eternal glory? So that the end, you understand, is not here. The end is up there. Three things I want us to consider. All from this text, the first one is that number one, your heart, your heart, your spirit and soul, your heart is being pulled. Look at verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end, here's the same expression, but the end of those things is death. But now, don't you love those two words? Hallelujah for them. But now, being made free from sin, untethered by it, and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Now, folks, let's just think about this for a moment. The end of philosophy, the end of humanism, in fact, the end of modern American religion and spirituality is to enjoy life until you die. The end is death. But the end of faith, 
The end of Bible Christianity, the end of our faith, is to enjoy life after you die. And again, obviously, that's not to say that that we don't enjoy life right now because the truth is we do more than anyone else. But it's not the end, you see. This is not the end. Imagine for a moment that the area down here in which you're all seated right now Below this platform represents the world, the earth, and all that is carnal, and all that is man-centric. And then the area up here, let's say above the platform, back there by the baptistry, represents heaven, and eternity, and all that is spiritual and godly. The middle then, let's say on the platform, the middle part where I'm now, that's you, And that is your life, and that is your three score in ten, and if by reason of strength, ten more. Well, you know, one of the things the Bible tells us so often is that during these years up here, these years of living our lives, your heart and your soul is being pulled upon. And it is being tugged on by one of these two elements. Your heart is being pulled by two different realities. Verse 12, let not, look at it, Sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. In other words, this world is pulling you. But guess where they're pulling you? Down. Let not sin reign in your mortal body is pulling you. But verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where's God? Where's Jesus? He's in heaven. That is the pull of heaven. When verse 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Folks, it's a reminder that the gravity of the flesh and the pulling down the gravity of this world no longer owns you. It no longer holds you. And it's true. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Scriptures, you'll find this common theme. Whereby all believers and their hearts are tugged upon pulled by either heaven or earth, by that which is above or by that which is below. And again, they are two completely different influences upon your soul. Look at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. You see, in every way, which, whichever pull that you agree to, that you own, that you yield to or seek after, that agency will determine everything about your life and testimony during these days here. You will either live and die for all that is earthly and worldly, or you will defy gravity and walk with the tug of glory. Look at verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Folks, that walk is the freedom and the glory that salvation brings. So that for every believer in this room, your heart is being pulled in two directions. The one focuses on the rewards before you die. Eat Drink and be merry. 
The other one focuses mostly on the glory after you die. Jesus said, for example, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I mean, folks, you cannot find right a greater dichotomy anywhere than these two influences in life. You're being pulled. But that brings us then to the second truth in the text. We said, number one, your heart is being pulled, and it is every day. And in every way, you have a tugging of your soul. The second thing you'll notice, number two, is that the pull of the world is always downward. Always. You want to see a theme? Look at these verses with me very quickly. Verse 7, he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 13, neither yield yourselves as members as unrighteous members of instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. Verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Verse 18, being then made free from sin. Verse 20, for when ye were the servants of sin. Verse 22, but now being made free from sin. You see this over and over again. The Bible teaches that your heart is being pulled and anything that, is, that pulls from this world is always, always a pull downward. It's a downward move. The words in the text are dominion, unrighteousness, bondage, death. Which is precisely why the, the philosophy or religion of enjoy life until you die doesn't work. Solomon called it vanity. Because after all, if what you're doing is trying to find pleasure and enjoyment before your time runs out, which is that's the philosophy, by definition, your very motivation and your very perspective is ultimately what? Death. The saying in Scripture is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Tomorrow you die, so you better enjoy life now. It makes all of your so-called enjoyment short-sighted and temporal and empty and eventually filled with despair and even panic. Years ago, I read a book about Hitler and his inner circle during the last days in Berlin in that bunker. And the author, who was Hitler's secretary and survived that bunker, said in this fascinating book that as the Allies were getting closer and closer and radio reports were getting more and more dire, as the bombs got louder and nearer, she said it was bizarre how Hitler and Goebbels and all the others in that bunker started to do everything in haste. There was, of course, the hasty wedding with Eva Braun. And then she said everything. Everything that they did was like sped up. They actually started to eat faster and walk faster. She said that they would completely skip any kind of healthy food and just go right to and gouge, gorge themselves with sweet whipped cream and, and pastries and just gorging themselves. They even quit saluting and following protocols that were ingrained in them. With every passing hour, there was a growing panic and fear because of the realization that their time was running out. 
They live with a premise that the end of their ideology was to enjoy life until you die. And folks, all that ever does is pull you downward. Which, by the way, doesn't speak well for the phony prosperity gospel, which also says that the end of our message is enjoy life until you die. Once every now and then, the Lord allows you with some experience in life to see something that's profound and it just gets seared in your memory. And you know, one of those occasions for me took place in 1985 on the west side of Knoxville, Tennessee. Some of you will remember this. I was out on visitation with another staff member and we came to an old dilapidated mansion that looked like something from a Margaret Mitchell novel. It was beautiful and ornate, but completely neglected and run down. We knocked on the door, and an elderly, well, actually 92 years of age, this woman, came to the door. We told her who we were. She invited us in, and there, amidst the dust and the cobwebs, stacks and stacks of books and papers, was a virtual time capsule. It looked as if time stood still and froze in the 1950s. And as we began to talk, and she told me her, us her story, it became obvious. She was a Christian. Her husband was a very wealthy investor in the railroads before he died. They had two children. One, the daughter, was there at the house as well, and we met her. And, and though she was in her 70s, she looked every bit as old as her mother. She had had a very rough life. There were pictures, dozens of them, on the wall leading up the stairwell, and she took us up that stairwell looking at each of those pictures and talking about all of the history. There were pictures there of her daughter when she was Miss Tennessee. Beautiful. Pictures of her being the first female, the first girl to lead the band at UT Knoxville. And there were pictures of these celebrities with she and her husband in the glory days. Several of them with President Eisenhower and Walt Disney. In fact, at one point, they led us outside. She said, I want to show you something. And we went out in the backyard, and there, covered with vines and just years of overgrowth, was this big, large, intricate dollhouse of some sort. And she explained to me that this was actually taken from the set, the real set of the film Snow White. It was given to their little girl from Mr. Disney himself. And there were horse riding trophies by the dozens, amazing mementos and gifts and souvenirs from travels and dignitaries all over the world, all of them covered with dust and grime and years of neglect. And as a young preacher, it was fascinating for, for us to see. After a while, we sat down and the matriarch began to explain how this once devout Christian family ultimately fell completely to ashes. Her husband died an alcoholic. Her son, shortly thereafter, committed suicide. She and her daughter, who is now divorced, were living there day by day, just with all those memories in that dark house in despair. And of course, nothing like the glory and the grandeur of the social life reflected in all those photos in Knoxville, Tennessee. It all began, she said, when her son and her husband took almost their entire fortune and against his own conscience 
as a notable Christian in town, launched a bitter war of revenge against a business rival who had beat him out of a deal. And they lost everything. Greed, jealousy, hatred, slander. Every one of those, as she said, they took with them every Sunday as they walked into the front doors of that very respectable downtown church. So on the outside, they were going through all the motions. But on the inside, there was this constant downward decline. In essence, they chose all too often to yield to the gravity of this world. She gave me more, more details, but every detail, all it told me was that this family kept making choices one after another that was just seeking the pleasure of this world. Just grasping it more and more and more. When we left that visit, all I could think of was 1 Timothy 5, 6. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. You know, James 3.15 talks about wisdom that's from below, not above. Wisdom that's from below, not above. And you know how, he, you know how the Bible describes it? James says, this wisdom is earthly, sensual, devilish, with envying and strife and every evil work. In other words, all downward. And folks, that's just the wisdom of this world. In any case, we left that house and I was burdened about the high cost of a wasted life lived only for this world. I remember I got home that night and I was kind of anxious to tell Louise all about this visit. But before so, she told me about the visit that she made when she was on visitation with her partner. And you know the contrast could not have been starker. Because her visit was to a humble servant, sweet godly grandma who on her fixed income as a widow was full of faith and joy and life like the people we know in this building. Her testimony to Louise was one of selflessness and service and simplicity. And now in her sunset years, she was confident that her joy down here was going to be multiplied up there and she was ready. You know, the world would think that she was missing out the world would have looked at her life and thought that she was not liberated, self-deprived all those years. She didn't have any photos with celebrities. But such is the wisdom of the world. As James wrote in that very same text, where there is wisdom from below, there is confusion and every evil work. For us believers this morning, if you're a child of God, that is wisdom from below that's tugging at you. That's the wisdom of Hollywood and Washington and academia. It's tugging at you and it's tugging you downward. It's telling you that the end and purpose of your being is to enjoy life until you die. But that brings us to the third lesson in the text. We said, number one, your heart is being pulled. Number two, the pull of the world is always, always downward. Number three, the pull from above is always upward. It is always toward glory. Look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Hallelujah. Verse 17. God be thanked, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. 
But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And we could go on and on because the whole chapter is talking about the pull being from up there. If you have been freed, untethered from down here, and if the end of this pull You've been freed from this. You're being pulled by that. And if the end of this pull is everlasting life, then the whole tenor of your life and your direction is blessing and fruit and joy and goodness and faith. So that you know what? All those verses about losing your life in order to find it, and the first shall be last, And if you want to live, you die to self. All of that is demonstrated in the lives of those who are motivated by the promises of what awaits after you die. In other words, those who live for heaven and the God of heaven are always those who are more fruitful while they're on earth. That's the paradox. That text in James about wisdom from above and wisdom from below. I want you to notice on your screen those verses because I want you to see the full context. James 3.14, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Can I stop here for a minute? This is not in my notes. That verse right there, verse 14, that's just about every so-called leadership book in the world. Grasp, get, go, stomp. So that's some wisdom, man, to help me be successful in life. Well, my Bible says, this wisdom descendeth not from above. It is earthly, sensual, devilish. Verse 16. For where there is envying and, where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. In other words, look, if you live yielding to the tug of heaven on your heart, if the end of your faith is to enjoy life, eternal life, after you die, then God sees to it that you really enjoy life before you die. Real joy. His joy. Nobody enjoys a sunrise or a meal or a newborn baby, or a song, or creation, or a vacation, more than those who know and love the Creator. I love how Mother Nature paints the sky. Oh, Mother Nature didn't paint it, amen? That's a Greek word, by the way. You have to go to seminary to get that one. You see, when the end of your faith is the salvation of your soul, You're not enjoying life until you die. Your enjoyment doesn't look at death as the end. It sees it as the beginning. And that means that all enjoyment now, all of God's blessings are thus enhanced and ennobled and enriched and utterly without the panic of counting down the days in a bunker of despair and hopelessness. That's wisdom from below. That is the earthly, sensual, devilish tug of this world in seek and in searching for pleasure. 
Some of you may remember the woman who did this to me. I was asked to make a visit years ago, somebody's loved one in our church, and her life was a sad tragedy of destructive choices. She was lost, she was not saved, and so while I was witnessing to her a couple of times, she did this to me. <laughs> I just kept sharing the gospel. She did it again. And I ignored it, so it, it bothered her that I ignored it. And she finally said, you're probably wondering why I'm doing this. And I said, well, I kind of was wondering why you're doing that. She said, I'm blocking your negative energy. Which I should have known, because Remo does it all the time while I'm preaching. <laughs> He's been doing it through this whole message. But I sat there and I remember thinking to myself, Lady, your entire life is guided by negative energy, negative thoughts, negative actions, negative philosophies, negative results. I thought it, I didn't say it. She finally stopped doing it and she listened. She listened to the gospel. And it was just a few weeks later she came to church. And she opened her heart in faith before she moved away and got saved. Pastor, who taught her to do that? People who don't have a clue. People who are living their life grasping before they die. You know, in Hebrews 6, we are told that Christians have an anchor for their soul. Right? It's one of my favorite verses. That anchor, the Bible says, is placed in heaven beyond the veil. You have an anchor, so look at yourself on this sea of life. And the Bible says that your anchor is placed in the Holy of Holies. In the throne of God, the anchor for your soul is in glory. There's our anchor. I wonder this morning if you feel the tug of it. If you feel the tug from above where your anchor truly resides. I wonder as you've journeyed through your Christian life, if you yielded more to the tug of this world than to the tug of eternity. And I wonder if perhaps... All of us today won't decide that the end of our faith, that the purpose and the culmination of our walk is the salvation of our souls so that running our race, we will be looking unto Jesus that way. Looking unto Jesus, not looking at pleasure or success or money, but looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of of our faith. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for a moment. I want to tell you this right now. You're going to blink. You young people in this room, teenagers, you're in your 20s, early 30s, you're going to blink. And your life's going to be almost over. I mean it. It's just going to be like tomorrow. It's not worth it to yield to the tug of this world. It's not. But I can tell you, being with Sherry in the hospital the other night, I can tell you that past midnight sitting there, her faith, knowing where Danny was, knowing where she is, knowing that they may not have had a lot of this world's goods, but that they were living for what happens after we leave. That's a vast difference from other people I visited just in recent days. And it will be for you. What Jesus says to us in the Gospels about losing and dying to self, it's not advice. 
That's not okay counsel. It's truth. It's yielding yourselves to the tug of heaven, not the tug of this world. Pastor, I'm here today, and I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm born again. If I were to die, if something were to happen to me, I'd be in heaven because I'm saved. But I needed the reminders this morning. You know, the book of Romans is so deep, it's so rich. We could spend months on this chapter, as you know. But it's rich in truth, eternal truth. Pastor, I'm saved, but I needed some of these reminders as a Christian today. Who would say that with heads bowed? Would you lift your hands through the room and amen and amen? By the way, never think that you're past the point, chronologically, spiritually, in any way, of not returning to the tug of the world. That was not going to give up. You're here today and you say, Pastor Lelick, I'm not sure that my anchor is in heaven. I'm not sure I even have an anchor. So that if you're not sure that if you died today, you'd be in heaven, because that's where your anchor is. If you're not absolutely sure that your name is written in heaven, that you've been saved, we'd like to pray for you. And though we won't come down and embarrass you or anything, we would love to pray for you. Pastor Lelick, that's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I'd like to be sure. Would you pray for me? Who would say that with heads bowed? No one looking. Just raise your hand really high. We want to pray for you on the way back. All right. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure that I'm saved. We'd like to pray for you, all right? We're going to sing in a moment, have a time of invitation. And, you know, you come to church, you gather as God's people, you open up his word, you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And when he does, you respond to it. That's how you live a victorious Christian life. The wisdom from below is devilish. It's full of strife, bitter fruit. So why listen to it? Why be tugged by it? Father, bless the invitation. We thank you for your word today. We thank you for your promises and the truth of them. And on this Lord's Day morning, as we've been reminded of the truths of salvation, that we are free, that we have true liberty, true freedom, not to do what we want, that's bondage, but to do what we ought. Now that we are free, Father, help us to live defying the gravity of this world and on a higher plane for your honor and for your glory. For these who have asked for prayer, draw them to you, please, in Jesus' precious name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.